You're listening to the Comic Book Informer Podcast with Vince and Raj, a podcast for everyone from comic nerds to comic noobs. You know who you are. Now here's your host, Raj. Hello and welcome to the Comic Book Informer Podcast. This is Raj coming to you on Tuesday, the 7th of April. And we've got what I hope is going to be a good episode. It was, uh, I decided to do what I've done in the past and go back and pick a, an event that occurred that holds some significance, especially for characters that we like. So it was easy for me to choose this one, seeing as we'd just been talking about her a few times over the last little while. And I thought, you know what, next time it is my episode, I think I'm going to go back and find some, an important story arc for her and this being her actual quote-unquote origin story arc this is as important as it can get before we get to that i just want to make sure you're awake from your nap there and you're feeling all right you're good to yeah, go I'll, I'll be all right okay. I, I will be just as good of a contributor as you are the other four weeks every time i would like to think that i contribute just fine thank you very much <laughs> in fact i've been told in certain segments that i contribute a little too much so bite me <laughs> You're never going to let that go, are you? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> my co-host told me to shut the fuck up. Damn it, I'm going to have to go. <laughs> it's my job. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay. The miniseries that I chose to feature is Magic. And it's it was called, on the covers, Magic, Storm, and Ileana, although it's actually the official title is Ileana and Storm. And it was at a time when in the early to mid-80s, the X-Men were doing exceptionally well. Chris Claremont was writing them. Everybody wanted more and more. We got the new mutants that spun off from them, as well as a whole bunch of other stuff. And so here came the opportunity to give us a new character in Magic. Ileana had been referenced only once before that. And so they used her as a as a plot device earlier on, because Ileana, for those who aren't aware, is Colossus, Peter's sister. She was actually, she did not have any mutant powers when she made her way to the States. And that was because she, along with other people who were important to the X-Men, was kidnapped by a, um, what was it, Miss Locke. That's all they said her name was, who was going to use these people as a means of getting to the X-Men. And she, by the time she was rescued and everything, she wound up being in the States. And then Peter, fearing for Ileana and any repercussions there may be if she went back to Russia and be accused of being a defector, decided it'd be better if she stayed in in the U.S., and so, again, she didn't have any powers, and she was quite young at the time as well. She was seven years old. And then in issue number 160 of The Uncanny X-Men, in the space of two panels, quite literally, Ileana falls through a portal and gets, well, gets pulled through a portal into Limbo by Belasco, who's the demon lord of Limbo, this this space that he's created. When she comes out of there, it has literally only been a few seconds in actual time, in Marvel's canonical time. But for her, it's actually been seven years lived in Limbo. And so Claremont then wrote this four-part miniseries 
to show what happened and why the character came out as this teenager with mutant powers and being a sorceress. I actually remember reading this when it came out because it was around the time, again, the New Mutants had only been out for a little while before this. They, she actually was, uh, there was reference to this in the issue number 14 of the Mutants as well. And I remember liking the character very much as opposed to a lot of the other characters with the exception of some like Wolverine or whatever that are a little bit harsher. You know, most of them are pretty agreeable people, but she's always had this kind of harsh quality to her that I absolutely adore. Mm -hmm. And again, we see that brought to life here, the reasons why. The writing was really good in one particular part, and I'll bring that up later on towards the end, where I went, wow, that was just so on the nose for the character. And it's something that we can appreciate even now seeing her in the X-Men as it is now. Yeah, like I've uh, obviously I wasn't reading this at the time, but uh, I've read a lot of those old uh, Uncanny X-Men issues and the old New Mutant stuff. This is actually something I'd never read before. Oh, really? Like, I knew the basics of the story based on how many times it's been referenced over the years, but this is the first chance I've had to actually read the actual story. And it's an important story, too, because periodically we will get story arcs within the X-Men that show how Ileana is the demon lord of Limbo. And unless you've read this, you're not really going to understand where that originated from, how that came to be. And a lot of times we'll go back to, especially the 80s, actually I should say, especially the 90s, but also the 80s. <laughs> and you reread stuff and go, this does not really hold up very well. There's a lot of issues. This holds up beautifully. This holds up really, really quite well. Writing, art, everything. See, I think some of that has to do with the fact that it's a mini series. So Claremont kind of skirts around a lot of his typical way of kind of recapping everything, yeah. every issue. Yeah. So he doesn't have to have the characters speaking aloud, describing their yeah. powers to a new reader who could have picked it up this issue. I think just assuming a mini series, he's going to assume as it goes along, people have kept up with it. And that really helps a lot. The other thing, too, and I'm not sure whether or not this is. In fact, the case, because I did a little bit of research on it, but not a whole hell of a lot kind of thing. I'm curious if, again, I'm, I'm curious if the reason why on the covers it was referred to as Storm and Ileana is because for marketing purposes, nobody knew who Ileana is to speak mm-hmm. of. You wouldn't really want to take a chance on it. Granted, a four-parter is really not a huge chance, but still. But Storm immediately draws more people in and they make the the thing too saying from the x-men so that people understand that it's it's from that ip it's a spinoff plus there were a ton of spinoffs at the time as well but i wonder if because it was a character that not necessarily they expected it to fail but they didn't have these massive expectations that it gave claremont a lot more freedom in terms of how to progress with the story and take chances that maybe otherwise he wouldn't have I, I don't think at the time there was a whole bunch of people clambering for a story about Colossus's little sister. Exactly. 
Yeah. No, that definitely makes a lot of sense. So, and then he kind of took chances with the story as well because the storm in the story, just like the Kitty Pride in the story, are actually don't call her Kitty. Her name is Kitty. (laughs) Um, The storm and Kitty from a parallel universe. So what happened was again in the that uncanny X-Men number 160 portals opening and Belasco is pulling Ileana through. Now from there the story diverges in in terms of the canon for that event and the the actual story of what happened in the, again, the regular Marvin, Marvel universe is that the X-Men did not make their way through, but Ileana did. She was pulled through. In a parallel universe, the X-Men actually were the ones that went through and saved Ileana, so she didn't go through. So with that story, and I don't know, actually, I will point blank say, I don't know if that story has ever actually been told. My remembrance of those comics back at that time is all but shot. (laughs) So I don't, I I was reading them, but I can't remember if Claremont ever played with that to show us that story arc. From the other X-Men's point of view? Not to my knowledge. Yeah, same here. Same here. Because what happens is that they get through and one by one, they get killed or corrupted by Belasco. And... He, of course they did. They're from an alternate universe. Well, they're, they're, they're fodder. They're <laughs> fodder for bad that's guys. Your, that's your excuse to kill off a character that's, that you can't you otherwise. may as well be wearing a red shirt is what I'm saying. <laughs> Everybody change your outfits. Red from now on. Um, Storm is the one that Belasco targets uh, at the last one. And he actually starts to train her and all that. So when Ileana meets up with, with Storm in here, it's actually an old woman. And the Kitty Pride is not the Kitty Pride that we're used to. She's far harsher, ready to put a bullet in Leanna's brain pan, essentially, and um, and more cat-like. And initially, when they play with that, the whole cats don't like water bit that she says, I was like, oh, come on, please. But then you find out later, oh, no, no, no. Belasco actually made some changes in her so that she is more like that. And that gets pushed even further later on. So those are the only two X-Men that you see initially that are from this parallel universe. Storm wants to train Ileana so that the same thing that happened to her doesn't happen to Ileana. Because Belasco wants to basically train Ileana create these this this portal so that the elder gods can come through this portal to destroy earth and this portal will be by means of a pentagon um, locket that he's given to Ileana and within there are at each of the points he's creating bloodstones using bits of soul and, and whatnot from Ileana and anybody else he can get his hands on apparently and then once that pentagon is complete, he can summon the Elder Gods, who will just basically come through and destroy Earth. So Storm decides better to take her, train her, so that she is able to resist uh, Belasco, because they can point blank see that it's a lot harder for Ileana to resist him than it was for Storm. Now Kitty, meanwhile, 
wants nothing to do with this. It's too risky, does not want this to go through. But she doesn't have much to say. Storm does, in fact, not kidnap, but she takes Ileana off and she starts training her. And they train for years. And that's the other thing, too. Like I said earlier, the time, the passage of time is way different in limbo than it is in normal time. Seven years equated to literally a few seconds. That said, it's never actually explained if Ileana spent seven hours actual years in limbo because even she when she's talking about time there is referencing it saying that it doesn't pass the same as normal and whatnot and the you have these massive gaps of time in between not just issues but events that are going on like storm in this story trains her for years but in but it, it kind of feels And I don't want to sound like I'm saying it wasn't well-written because, in fact, it was so well-written that it's confusing and you're not sure how much time is passing. And it's but it still is very fluid in how the story progresses. And I really like that. Yeah. And and Claremont really plays with that because there's even points where Ileana herself says she's not sure how much time has passed. And even though like she notices she grew bigger, but it didn't seem like that long to her. So and that allows him to as she's aging, still present her with a certain amount of innocence because, well, you know, we don't know how old she is psychologically throughout the story. That See, that's the other thing too. It's never really described whether she is aging and her mind is aging as fast as her body is because you do get those moments that are much more innocent-like, but to be honest, they're kind of few and far between. There's there's moments where she's not quite well, yeah, as mature, maybe, maybe not but not innocent. But I think yeah, naivete would be a better. Yeah, because for what she's going through, I mean, she's she's going through hell there and being trained, you know, by a demon lord. So she's kind of you know losing a lot of that childlike wonder of the world. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, again, you have Storm trying to to train her, and and while she's learning a lot. She's still kind of finding it hard and still finding the pull towards Belasco as well. The Storm is, Storm's character is very interesting because she learned a lot of her sorcery from Belasco. And what's cool there is that you see little snippets where Storm's mutant powers are incredibly hard for her to control now for some reason. Not just due to age, but because of everything that's going on in in Limbo. And so she changed and adapted so that she could become this sorceress to learn to protect herself as well. To fight for, for her team and for what's right. And that stays entirely true to the character for what we saw in the actual X-Men when she lost her power. And she fought to become this kick-ass character that even without powers, led, became the leader for the X-Men over Scott. Big, big props there. (laughs) Good decision. Don't go with Scott. We see how that turns out. (laughs) But I liked again how it stayed very, very true to the character. Yeah, Storm was, she wasn't, didn't get a lot of panel time, but her presence was definitely felt throughout all of it. Yeah. Kitty decides she's had enough of this and she actually kidnaps Ileana at one point and she takes her to a replica of the Savage Land in Limbo. But who knows why you'd have that there? 
but it's there. So let's just roll with it. And she teaches because it's a comic series. We yeah, have to go to the Savage Land. At some point. It's a Marvel comic. The uh, she teaches her how to fight and how to fight with a sword as well. And this too goes on for a bloody long time. And then Kitty and Ileana sneak into Belasco's tower with the intention to kill him, but also to send Ileana off from there. They come across Nightcrawler, who is not so much with the niceness. He's not a nice boy. (laughs) And here you can see how he's been corrupted and he is just out to kill. This is the one that you see the, 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 the issue has him with the two swords in his hands and a sword in his tail and everything. And he's just looking to put a hurting on Ileana and Kat. Kat actually kills him at this point. And when they they try to escape or send Ileana back, Blasco, of course, steps in and that plan goes to shit. Ah, damn it, that's twice in one episode. Man. Okay. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> this is the point where he decides to hell with this. I'm going to do what I should have done a long time ago and turns kitty into a full-blown feline cat very large cat with (laughs) phasing powers that wants to kill everything in her path i found that a little kind of cheesy and corny but it was one of the few things in the entirety of this series that i kind of went yeah that could have been done better well, also, you kind of look at it that the entire series was, I don't want to say framed, but definitely had that feeling of just like this broken fairy tale. Yeah. So going along that, that thematic line, you know, friendly kitty person, you know, it makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I. Yeah. From there now, Ileana. It makes just as much sense as anything. Oh, yeah, else. this is true. This is definitely true. So from there, Ileana spends, again, years training with Blasco and reading up all of the books, grimoires, everything in his his library. Now, she still hasn't actually gotten her mutant powers by that point, and she doesn't even know if she will, in fact, get any. But there's a scene where it's a stressful situation, much like any other mutant that we've seen, that if it's around puberty point, it's going to trigger your, your mutant power, and sure enough, it does. And that's when you see her famous disc, teleportation disc, uh, mutant ability that we see now all the time where they use her just as a <laughs> carrying Taxi. service. Yeah. And so here we see how it came to be and how she got them. And she does some traveling around there because it allows her to go not just anywhere, but also at different points in time as well. But because she doesn't really have a lot of control, it's kind of a little wonky where she's going to wind up. But again, that's, her origin of where we see her mutant power for the first time. Now from there, she actually decides that she is going to have a fight and go up against Belasco. At one point she had enough and she figures that she's going to, she's going to take care of this storm finally shows up. She's been gone for years at this point, years in that world. And all of a sudden shows up, which that was another thing that kind of went, "Mm, doesn't quite make sense there that, she would have waited years to do something, but all right, whatever. So Storm's there. Maybe she's, it wasn't years to her. Yeah, this is true as well. This is true as well. Um, shows up. She 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 actually sends Ileana through one of her portals and just kind of, I can't remember if she shoves her through or it was an accident, if I'm not mistaken, sends her through the portal. And the portal conveniently takes Ileana to the point where Storm 
kills Belasco. And that's when you see that what happened in the past there, because again, Storm was Belasco's apprentice. She did study under him when she decided to do exactly what Ileana's doing. She didn't kill him, but because this is his limbo, he can't be killed. And so all that did was bind Storm to Belasco. And this then comes to, to help, um, Ileana later on. Ileana makes her way back into the fight. By this point, Kat's there. She fatally ruins Storm. Ileana now knows how to kick ass with the best of them because she was taught by Kitty. So she kills, snaps her freaking neck. <laughs> Talk about... <laughs> but you, It's like magic. It's like, yeah, I believe it from her. <laughs> snaps her freaking neck. And when Belasco orders Ileana to sacrifice Storm's soul to create yet another bloodstone, she kills her instead jabs her in the neck and i was like damn <laughs> again i can remember reading this when i was reading comic books when i was in my, my teens their early teens and thinking holy crap like we'd seen some harsh stuff in like wolverine <laughs> comics and things like that but i mean you're killing storm off jabbing her in the neck blood spurting out so that she lives or she dies instead of having her soul sacrifice i was like Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, it definitely has an impact. And it's one of those things where I just assumed bad things had happened to Ileana while she was in limbo. And that's why she was who she was. I never (laughs) would have guessed just how brutal things were there. Well, that's the thing, too, because the character is so torn. And that's something that... I've always appreciated about her as well. And part of it is, if you haven't read this, it just plays off as being mysterious and what you'd expect for that type of character. But when you know, not just from reading, but taking the time after reading it to realize she spent years with Storm as a mother figure, because at that age as well, and someone who wanted to save her and all that, as with Kitty, years being trained and spending time with her and befriending her in those formative years where these versions of Kitty and Storm have more importance to her than the actual Kitty and Storm ever did before that. And she has to kill them both as this kid who's still 13 she's 13 14 that's profoundly impactful on a kid's psyche so again it it, then it makes you appreciate everything later on that she's just not a flat out psychotic villain but able to eh, somewhat hold it in also makes it kind of interesting that you know once she gets back to the you know her timeline and whatnot her and kitty actually became best friends yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) Well, Kitty is actually, they were saying that in the essay afterwards too. I don't know if you took the time to read that. Um, And that I actually didn't know. Kitty is the only other person who can hold her soul stone or soul sword. I thought Mm -hmm. that was pretty awesome. The, um, so Belasco is furious at this point, sends her off to this Northern Canada wintry wonderland (laughs) where she's not allowed to escape from. And again, spends years there now and she's trying to teach herself certain things as well because she's at where storm's garden of essentially garden of eden was that she'd made for herself and there's this massive tree which was the first thing that storm grew from an acorn that she created and so 
Ileana is trying to use some of the, uh, the the tree's soul, remaining soul, essence, whatever you want to call it, and trying to create her own acorn to try to learn different things that Storm did. And this goes on for a long time, and she is never able to do the same thing. Her acorns are always rotten on the inside, and and, and it makes her reflect on who she is as, as a person, that she's not able to do this thing that Storm was, because Storm was... You know, she feels that Storm was a much better person and all that. So that's why. And there's that moment where she realizes, and this is the moment I was talking about earlier, where she realizes she's not Storm. Her goals, her ambitions on how to get out, what to do and things like that, and who she is as a person are way, way, way different than Storm. And she accepts that, you know, she's not as nice. There's that, that part of her that is that does enjoy being around Belasco being taught by him and that corruption even and from that she uses that instead and creates her soul sort which is iconic to the character that we see everywhere whenever you see Eliana and I loved that because again you have that moment where it's that big climactic moment where the character has that introspective to get past something and Claremont got it right. He stuck to the character and that it's not always going to be the goody, goody build a tree kind of thing from nothing. No, you're going to get somebody as well. Who's going to be, have that demonic aspect in them because Belasco put that in her mind, changed her. So it's in there, but how she works and what she does with it is what's going to define her as a, not as a hero, but as a character moving forward. And again, I thought that Claremont, just hit the nail on the head with that one. See, and it's one of those things that we've seen from Claremont so many times throughout his tenure that the X-Men have always represented any number of you know, different things, you know, different characters have their own. And here in this story, it's a wonderful representation of somebody growing up and being influenced by yep. you know, any number of important people in their lives and at various points trying to be just like them and eventually reaching the point where they realize that they're not going to be just like any one other person and finding who they are for yeah. themselves. And for a four-issue miniseries to tell that story so perfectly, that that's why the guy's a legend, man. Yeah. yeah. So from there, she, again, conveniently, no longer bound to this winter wonderland she's able to escape, goes off, fights Belasco, and remembering what happened to Storm because she's awaiting the fight and she could have killed him easily, does not deliver that killing blow. And she then takes over Limbo to the point of taking fighting later on in, in the, either in the X-Men or the New Mutants, I can't remember which, fights Belasco is essentially his right-hand man, kind of right-hand demon, and beats it and convinces it to serve her instead of Belasco. And that's the last the last of that, and that's when she officially takes over Limbo. And you see her, whenever she uses her portals, they actually have to go through Limbo mm -hmm. in order to get to wherever they're going. So it explains a lot, 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 lot about the character, the origins of her powers, the extent of them, and how she came to be the queen of Limbo kind of thing. And, and of course, it ends with her coming back through the portal, to them, it's all been just a few seconds, but to her, it's been 70 years. They don't really address it all that much. <laughs> I mean, the 
she comes back and then there's a party later on and you're going like, people aren't really addressing the fact that this isn't a child coming through anymore, that <laughs> teenager came through. But, Plus, they've seen a lot of crap in 160 yeah, really, years, man. They're, they're used to it. <laughs> so I would have liked to have seen, that's the other minor gripe, of course, but I would have liked to have seen a lot more of that when she got through that addressing, oh my God, you're not a kid, of her sharing part of her feelings when she then sees the actual storm and actual kitty kind of thing and and working around that. Again, it's been so long since I read those X-Men from that point. I don't recall. I would assume it was brought up at different points, you know, around that time. I think it was mentioned time. more in the New Mutants than it was in the actual X-Men time. Yeah, it's, again, it's been so many years. I would love to go back and read those to see just how the, the subtleties of where it showed up because he would have had, Claremont would have had such a, a a grand occasion to integrate her with both Storm and with Kitty going forward. And we know, of course, with Kitty, but I will have to go back and look at those those early, early Nubians as well as the early X-Men. Although I do recall the early mutants. I'm not so yeah, sure they don't hold, hold up, up well. quite as well. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll see. <laughs> so that's it. Any parting thoughts? Uh, no, just now at this point, I think uh, in an upcoming episode, we might have to go and uh, go through the storyline where Ileana kidnaps Pixie and basically puts her through the same deal. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. Okay, let's move on to what we're reading. I, again, in wanting to go back to some DC stuff that I haven't been reading, I just went through all those Batman Superman. I thought, okay, I'm going to tackle Earth 2 Worlds End. Oh, you poor thing. Oh, I didn't make it through. <laughs> I, I tapped out at like issue three. Once That's, I realized Taylor wasn't involved anymore, I was like, oh, I don't need to read this anymore. <laughs> I stop at three because it was so poorly written. It's horrific. There's three people writing it and it shows they do not have their shit together writing as a cohesive unit. What's that? That's three. Yeah. What? Uh, that was your third uh, duck quack. What did I say? Damn it, I did. You'll uh, figure it out when you edit. I I don't want to repeat it and make it a fourth. (laughs) It's worth it for this. (laughs) I'll go even further. It was fucking terrible. (laughs) The, um, um, I, I read the first one and now the first one has to try to recap everything that happened in earth two before it switched over to world's end. And so instead of trying to make it kind of, not necessarily subtle, but integrated better into the story. It's these clips back and forth from one panel to the other does not make sense. It bounces all over the place. It was horrible, horrible. And then I thought, okay, well, it's all set up. It should get better. Two and three didn't get better. I kind of went, nope. No, oh, I guess I'm not keeping up with this anymore. So scrap that. <laughs> But it was terrible. Um, You read, of course, the newest Amazing Spider-Man. Indeed. So we're seeing a lot of stuff here again where it's Peter. And we love that when it's not just on Spider-Man, but a lot of it on Peter. And the stuff with Peter here, the stuff with Anna Maria. He's fallen for her Peter is secondary. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because she stole this. Like every scene she's in, she's stealing it. And she was awesome. And I don't know if Slot is... 
doing this as setup because Peter eventually will get together with him because there's a lot of little moments there where you see him looking at her in that kind of way. I'm thinking, you sly dog, you're trying to set this up so that they're back together. But I don't care because we love her. We want her to stick around. <laughs> you can get rid of, what's her name, Sanjut? Get rid of her. Nobody likes her. She's just mean. She's just not happy with him at any time. He can't do anything right around her. Get rid I, of I th- her. I, th- I think he's setting up kind of a fun twist how Mary Jane was wanting to get back with Peter. And that's when Otto took over and wanted nothing to do with it. So now Peter might be getting interested in Anna Maria and she's not going to have anything to do with it. Yeah. I love that when he's carrying her off, swinging around, there's the billboard with MJ in the background. <laughs> but it was a fun issue. None of the actual action stuff matters. It was all just about Peter and Anna Maria. And for that reason, it was awesome. And the scene at the end with Sajani was pretty important. It was cool, but it's Anna Maria's most important. True. Always, always. Uh, latest Jew. Yeah, did, I talked about it last week. Did you I? really? Oh, I, I, I didn't can't remember. talk about it, but you, you wouldn't yeah, let yeah, me yeah. talk about it. Yeah, well, that's why. Well, now I read it. So, <laughs> freaking D-Bear is going to turn into my favorite character. <laughs> he is awesome. <laughs> so, this was this was cool. I, it was typical Chew. Can't go wrong mm-hmm. kind of thing. I loved it. And I love that the uh, the nurses have the Grey's Anatomy guy. On the hazard <laughs> wallpaper on their computer. <laughs> um, what else do I have? I wonder how much time uh, he spends drawing the issue as compared to coming up with all the fun little, jokes little things in the inside. Back. <laughs> uh, did you read Invincible? Yes. There you go. So we got the scene that we've been waiting for. I don't know about you, but I had to read each page like over and over again. It was just. It was well done. However, and here's where I'm actually going to speak to my ignorance in this matter. I, I, I know, and I'm not obvious. I'm not going to name names, but I know one man who's been raped when he was a child. I don't know any other men who have. I know, sadly, far too many women who have, but not men. And of course, it's going to be, there's going to be a lot of similarities in how they deal with it. But there's also going to be some notable, noticeable differences. And that, again, I got to see some of them when, um, with, with my buddy. Now, because of the age at which point this happened, too, that also creates a lot of differences in terms of how they're going to react and, and deal with this moving forward. Because this happened to Mark as an adult... I I don't have a frame of reference if if Kirkman is playing with this, well, maybe I wanted it, or if that's actually a common thing where the man will feel that if I had just fought harder, maybe this wouldn't have happened. You know, so I don't know if that's a something that is actually common for this kind of occurrence or if it's just Kirkman kind of playing because that aspect of it I was going like I don't that doesn't feel right that doesn't not just for the character but for what the events were I don't know I don't know if you got the same honestly I you know I can't kind of put myself into that situation so I I I don't know exactly that's why like I'm I'm not saying it was bad or not well done I 
quite literally don't know what the, and it's not like I can think, like I can imagine a lot of things kind of thing mm-hmm. and put myself in that mindset. I just can't put myself in this mindset to know how I I would feel. My heart goes out to obviously anybody who has. So when he's saying how he thinks that, you know, maybe a part of him wanted it because he didn't, maybe he didn't fight back hard enough or whatever. I, again, I don't know if this is a common thing or if it's Kirkman kind of playing with it, but that was the only aspect that for me did not feel quite right with the scene. Yeah. Like at first I was like, it, it felt like a big exposition dump almost. But on the other hand, I was like, well, he's been holding this in for so yeah, long. No kidding. You know, once he finally does open up, it is all going to come flying out all at once. Yeah. A few too many poop jokes. <laughs> Literally. Eh. Two. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Kirkman had a kid right around the time this came out. Yeah. Between the kid and his dump and things. And so there was a lot that was like, oh, there's not much point to this. Seriously, the entire maybe, meal maybe he thing. just felt the need to kind of balance out the it, issue. That's what I was thinking as well, too. Because, I mean... The freaking crap thing goes on for pages with the toilet. Not, we're not just talking a couple of panels here. We're talking pages and pages of him having a dump and then the flushing of said dump. Or I should say disposal because flushing wasn't working. So, you know, it was it was like trying to insert a little bit too much comedy brevity into a what should otherwise be a very serious issue. Yeah, one funny thing when the when the whole robot thing was going on, I was trying to remember when Oliver died, because like, where's Oliver? Yeah, I forgot he was just living out in space. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, when did they kill him? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, I, I was thinking the same thing too. <laughs> um, did you read that Kanan last Battle one episode or issue? No, no, I did not, dude. I love this. This was good. Again, this is this is. A good, well, it's setting up to be a good Star Wars series, like the Vader one. Um, I really like this. He's young, he's brash, kind of things that you expect with the character at this point. It's it's at that point, just at the tail end of the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So it's at that pivotal, pivotal moment as well, where there are actual Jedis and all that. But it's like right at the tail end of Clone Wars kind of thing. Things are turning really bad right at the end of this issue. So this was this was awesome. Plus, there's a variant cover that Scotty Young did. I wish I could get my hands on it. <laughs> it is so <laughs> bloody awesome. And then, of course, Scotty Young, Rocket Raccoon. You read the newest one? Mm-hmm. So this was good. It was nothing spectacular like some of the other ones that 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 we've seen before, but it's... We're starting a new story arc, so that's why there's so much setup. It's setting up something that should be really good. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it was a good issue. I enjoyed it. Nowhere near some of the other stuff so far, but it's obviously leading to something else. We learned a lot about Groot. There is that. I'm not afraid of anything, that guy. Uh, Spider-Gwen. It was better. I was just going to say. <laughs> it was better than one and two. Still on par with, say, Silk, or as good as Spider-Gwen was in Spider-Verse. Not even remotely close, but it was a little bit better. 
I'm kind of wondering like how long they intend this to go on for. Like, are are they kind of figuring it's going to get a small run and then, you know, just kind of be swept up in the whole Secret Wars thing? Or is this something that they're planning for the long haul? Because what we've seen over the course of three issues now, they're I'm wondering how future proof the series is going to be now that, you know, Castle has seen her. Yeah. And Castle still remains the best character in the comic. Yeah, he does. Yeah, without a doubt. The thing is, is that we've we've talked about this before. I mean, this character is freaking huge in terms of fan loving. I mean, we're talking not on par with Miss Marvel, but I mean, could be there. there. So you don't want to screw that up. That's you could wind up with a fantastic new character for the long haul from here on out that is also in this parallel universe that's fun to play in kind of thing. But if you're going to screw it up and screw up sales because it's poorly written, you've shot yourself in the face. And lastly, latest Wolverines. (sighs) Every week I forget that you're still reading this, and every week when you bring it up I can't help but laugh. So now we see why so many things have been getting stolen, artifacts, outfits, and everything of Wolverines because basically Deadpool bought them all up because he's going to be the new Wolverine. But in his sick, demented mind, he needs to recreate all of the pivotal moments in Wolverine's origin story and all that to the point of going to try to fight against She-Hulk because starting a fight with the Hulk would not be smart because he's tough. <laughs> so it goes up against She-Hulk instead and she beats the crap out of him. And there's different things like that where he's showing up with the different outfits at both the Avengers and the X-Men and trying to fill the void left because Wolverine's no longer there. This could just as easily have been like a straight up Deadpool issue. And see, that's part of what I hated about this too is that and I'm sure Sewell just thought, hey, this is just an excuse to play around and to change up the how serious the storyline has been up until now. But this is straight up Deadpool issue to the, the point of the, the talking to himself and the narrating and the complete and utter stupidity th- throughout the entire thing. So it just is such a jarring like the rest was bad but it was trying to be serious at least and then it slams on the brakes for this lunacy and then you would assume it's going to try to maintain the momentum that it might have had for some people afterwards it was it was horrible (laughs) yeah that's a really weird direction to go it it does not fit it does not fit it just is it's again, it's somebody had this idea, hey, let's do this. And it's crammed in there like a wedge in the story arc and makes no sense. It's complete stupidity. And, and yeah, I, I mean, I haven't liked any of this. We know that. I've been honest about this. This was horrible. This was just so goddamn stupid. And you see, this, you know, this particular development is the kind of thing that if anybody was reading this comic i would have heard about it a week ago <laughs> yeah this is the first time hearing about it yeah it was bad all right go ahead 
All right. It's just a couple real quick ones for me because uh, it was kind of a light week. Uh, Avengers continues to be awesome, but that goes without saying. But we got the first uh, issue of the Avengers Forever miniseries, which I actually really enjoyed. It was a fun play on both Age of Ultron and the old uh, I'm sorry, the Ultron Forever miniseries. But it was a it was a fun play on both Age of Ultron and the old Avengers Forever miniseries, which involved Avengers from various points in the timeline being brought together to take out a big threat. And this is the same thing. It's Avengers from multiple points in the timeline being brought together to take out Ultron. So we get, you know, modern day Vision and Black Widow, as well as the new Thor. And we also get epic beard Thor from the 80s. So the interaction between the two of them was actually really cool, where without going through all of the emo drama that Odin's son has been through, he just looks down and accepts her. He's like, well, I guess something bad happened to me, but the hammer chose you, so we're cool. <laughs> and it just moved on with the story. But it, it's a, it's better than Age of Ultron by a damn sight. <laughs> not, not that that's hard to do, because I really hated Age of Ultron. So uh, now it, it's as far as just like a fun miniseries, I'm actually really enjoying it. Awesome. And then Guardians 3000, I've been keeping up with it because I love the characters and they've been telling an interesting storyline where, you know, them a thousand years in the future, they're trapped at basically the end of the universe, which is kind of something they touched on years ago when the, the characters were first around. And they're tying it in with the whole, uh, you know, Secret Wars thing about how the universe is ending and time is breaking and blah, 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 blah. So we've had the Guardians split up into two you know, smaller teams, each thinking the other was dead. And independently, both decide, you know, or not decide, realize they have to go back to the modern day Marvel Universe to find out what's wrong in their time. So, of course, you get the Guardians showing up, landing in the middle of New York, getting into a fight with the Guardians of the Galaxy. And the humor there, because uh, Rocket and some of the old team members actually met some of the original Guardians, and that's where they stole the name from. And there's some fun banter between the two as to... You know, who who came up with it first and who's stealing what from who. And then, yeah, it's it's just a fun little issue of the teams getting together and to then, of course, get to the end of the issue and we're under attack by the Guardians of the Galaxy because the second crew is showing up. But it, it's the artwork continues to be phenomenal in the series and I just really like the characters and it's something that's, it's it's working. Like, I was a little hesitant after the first issue, but now that I'm getting into it, I'm still enjoying it. See, I clocked out after that first issue. Yeah, I, that first issue was rough. I'm not going to lie. Man. But it, just being characters that I, I really love, I stuck with it. And I'm not saying it's, you know, a, a fantastic must-read comic, but it's been fun and enjoyable. And sometimes that's all you need. Cool. And that's all I got this week. Okay, so let's look at what is out this week on the Marvel side. We've got all new, or all new Hawkeye number two, Angela's Asgard Assassin number five, Avengers Millennium number two of four, Avengers World number nineteen, Captain Marvel number fourteen, Darth Vader number four, Deadpool number forty-five, and I only put that in there because it's the two hundred and fiftieth issue, which I thought immediately, of course, of. Skull Kickers doing that whole thing with the 100. Um, well, that's legitimately his 250th issue, though. Yep, yeah, but still, it's across how many different freaking Deadpool's. They can't do that. Well, and also, it, they, they promise us that Deadpool's dying in that issue. God. Okay. I don't care. Max Ride, first flight number one of five. That's actually from a James Patterson novel, which I never read, but 
there's a comic book adaptation. Miles Morales, Ultimate Spider-Man number 12, Spider-Man 299 number 11, Spider-Woman number 6, Storm number 10. And they've got a couple of new, they call them the True Believers, a couple of number ones. There's Civil War as well as Planet Hulk. These are just meant to get people interested in big storylines that have occurred in in Marvel. And it's the intro issues for a buck. So if you've never read them, there you go, it's a buck. On the DC side, we've got the Convergence Oh is God! In full blown effect now. So we've oh, got God. Convergence number one of eight, and then we've got Convergence: Batgirl, Batman and Robin, Harley Quinn, Justice League, Nightwing, Oracle, Speed Force, Superman, The Atom, The Question, and Titans. Those are all number one of two. So at least the at least the side stuff is going to be short. It's not going to be long. So, of course, no. That just means they're going to after those two are done, they're going to load in another. <laughs> line up for two issues oh yeah i I, anyways on the image side we've got big man plans number one uh or sorry two four i actually read one i'm very curious where they're going with this there's Mm. there's some elements that i I quite enjoyed about this legacy of luther strode number one rat queens number 10 saga number 27 and savior number one savior is actually from uh, todd mcfarlane it's a new one it's essentially Here's this person who might be God walking the earth. What would it be like in this day and age? Would it be, would he be seen as God or would it be people mock, dismiss, whatever? So it was fairly, it's an interesting concept. I'm curious what he's going to do with it. Written by Todd McFarlane or just kind of from McFarlane? Um, From what I saw and I have it up because I saw it, it's written by Todd McFarlane. Uh, I don't know about that. I, yeah, I don't know. I'm curious what it's going to be though. So uh, from the others, from IDW, we've got the trade paperback for Samurai Jack, Volume 3, and that's um, for the Broken Blade, which was a fantastic story arc. Loved it so much. So if you haven't picked that up, the trade paperback is out and you can pick it up. And then Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, number 44. And that is going to wrap it up for the week. You can go to com to get the show notes and leave us your comments. You can find us, of course, on Twitter at CBInformer, as well as on iTunes and Stitcher. And with that, we'll see you next week. Make sure to stop by comicbookinformer.com and let the guys know what you think in the comments. If you'd like to hear more from Roger and Vince, check out Popcorn Ronin, a bi-weekly movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as For the Lore, a weekly gaming podcast.